This evening, we're going to take the book of Psalms right in the middle of your Bible. Right in the middle, you'll find the book of Psalms. And I'm, let me uh, tell you on the front end what my intent is tonight and tomorrow night. No, not tonight. <laughs> the preacher will be by himself tomorrow night, yeah. Tonight, tonight and win next Wednesday. Okay, so part one and part two. So tonight, my hope is we kind of fly over at 30,000 feet, get a feel for the book, understanding front to back, know what it's about, what's on the inside, uh, so that you walk away tonight with a pretty good grasp on what the book of Psalms is, how it's used, what it's about, that sort of thing. And then next Wednesday, uh, I'd like for us to come down closer and take a really uh, hard look, maybe at a couple of the Psalms. I, hadn't, I actually hadn't decided on the format for next Wednesday. I may go with how to use the Psalms as a Christian. Might be something to do. I might go into Psalm 119 and do a study of it. Um, so you pray for me. But what I do is next Wednesday night, we will uh, have a real close look. So tonight is a broad look, and then next Wednesday will be a real narrow look. Okay, let me pray, and we'll get started. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the children that are in Awana right now. We thank you for moms and dads that have brought them, that got through traffic after a long day, were tired, and came anyway. God, thank you for that. I pray that you would give parents endurance. I pray for the children that are here, that they would hear the word, that the word would be implanted deep into their hearts, that you would make them strong in the Lord. God, thank you for all of those that are working hard to, to teach the word of God to our children. We, we thank you for our student ministers that are investing in our students. We pray that tonight would be a night of drawing Teenagers close to the Lord Jesus. We thank you for all of those in this room that have been called and converted by the grace that you've given us in Jesus. Help us now as we seek to get a better grasp on this beautiful book. In Jesus' name, amen. Martin Luther, who led the Protestant Reformation, Martin Luther said that the book of Psalms is the Bible in miniature form. The Bible in miniature form. Abraham Lincoln, you know that name, Abraham Lincoln said that there was a psalm for every single day, and each psalm was a guide for him. Although he never joined a church, Abraham Lincoln's thought process was saturated with the Bible. The book of Psalms is the, let's start with an intro. I'll make this the intro. The book of Psalms is the, it's the largest book in the Bible. The book of, the book of Psalms has the most chapters of any book in the Bible. Anybody know how many chapters it has? 150. The book of Psalms has the shortest chapter in the Bible. Anybody know that one? 117. The book of Psalms has the longest chapter in the Bible? Yeah, yeah. 
The book of Psalms has the chapter in the Bible that is the very middle of the Bible. 117 or 18, it's hard to know. Some say 117, some say 118. I like the idea of 118 because 117 is the shortest, 118 is the middle, 119 is the longest. All of them right there together. The book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. When you read the New Testament, more likely than not, you're going to see over and over again. Go and read Psalms or go and read the book of Hebrews. We went through it sometime. We, we preached through the book of Hebrews. Was that last year? Anybody remember? Was it last year? I get them all. They start stacking up. That's how you know you've aged a little bit. It's like you can't remember when you do that. Is that, Logan, was it last year? Okay, thanks. Maybe the book of Psalms might be the most popular book of those that know the Bible. Let's take Psalm 23. Who here thinks they can quote in full Psalm 23? Raise your hand. All right, Danny. <laughs> Just the first two lines, Danny. Stand and give me the first two lines. No? You can't do Who can do the first two lines? Go ahead. All right, the next line, somebody else. Keep going. Mm, there it is. What else? Yes, it does. And what? Look at that. The most popular book and the most popular psalm right there, Psalm 23. A lot of you knew that, maybe even without even trying. Because every funeral you've ever been to, you saw the 23rd psalm on the back of the program. You've heard the 23rd Psalm. You, you're going to be watching a movie and somebody dying in the movie and their dying breath is going to be the 23rd Psalm or the Lord's Prayer. If you take the book of Psalms and you read five Psalms a day, you can be through the book in a month. If you were to do that each month, by the time you get to the end of the year, you will have covered it over and over again. When you read uh, the book of Psalms, you find it doesn't just have one author. In fact, let's go to the number of authors. You can see the next, uh, in, in, on your sheet, the next step is the authorship. Oftentimes it's said uh, that David is the psalmist, and it is. He, he's, he even is called the sweet psalmist, David. Um, but there are more than David. David did write 73. 73 of the Psalms. Not all of them, 73. Uh, his son Solomon wrote two. Solomon wrote two of them. Psalm 72 and Psalm 127. He wrote two. Moses wrote one. How about that? Did you know that? Moses wrote one. In Psalm 90, Moses wrote that one. Then Asaph wrote, a guy named Asaph, A-S-A-P-H, wrote 12. Sons of Korah wrote 11. 
And then 50 of the Psalms are written by people we don't know who they are. Completely anonymous. Probably priests and Levites. That's the authorship. What about the date? So every book is written in the context of something happening. What is the date of the Psalms? Well, if you have that many authors, then you're going to have a whole lot, a wide span of years. So if Moses wrote one of the Psalms, that means that the date is very, very early for that one. The oldest Psalm is Psalm 90. Moses wrote it. The last Psalm to be written is probably Psalm 127. That's a lament when the people of God are in Babylonian captivity. So the oldest Psalm, Psalm 90, the last Psalm written, Psalm 127, it was probably written in 586 or so B.C. What are the characteristics of, of, of the Psalms? What makes something a Psalm? What is a Psalm? Well, Psalm or the psalmist or the psalter, if you prefer, it's a good way to understand it. The psalter is a collection of prayers. Here's what they are. Prayers, poems, songs, and hymns. So, four things. Prayers, there's poetry, poems, there's songs, and hymns that focus on the heart of God. So you have prayers, poems, songs, and hymns, and focus us, the worshiper, on what is the heart of God. That's what you find in the book of Psalms. You can read um, a lot of Psalms. You'll find, you're going to find any, any manner. Let's talk about the word. Uh, what is the word psalm? It comes from the Greek word that means a song set to music. If you'd like to sing the Psalms, there are churches even now that their hymn book is the Psalter. There are churches that will sing, and the only hymns they sing will be the songs that come from the Psalm. That's a really great way to worship. Uh, it comes from the Hebrew word also. So Hebrew translated into the Septuagint, which is Greek. That's where you get a song set to music. Uh, the Hebrew word also means song. What do we find there when we read uh, some identifying characteristics? Well, let's go to the Bible and see it. If you have your Bible, let's turn to Psalm chapter 2. We're, we're going to flip around a good little bit tonight and just see a couple of things. Um, let's just let's look at the Psalms in a messianic. You don't normally think about the Psalms pointing to Jesus, but the Psalms do. There are three uh, messianic psalms. There are several of them, but there are at least three. The first one is Psalm chapter 2. And in Psalm chapter 2, you have a foreshadowing of Jesus. The psalmist writes, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart. Cast away their cords from us. Come down to verse 7. I will tell of the decree that the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. So that was first written in the Psalms. Where do you hear that again? Do you remember? You hear it there. You also hear it at the baptism of Jesus. You, I mean, here you have Acts 4, you have the New Testament. It comes from the book of Psalms. It's a foreshadowing 
of Jesus. In Psalm chapter 16, if you want to turn the page, in Psalm 16 you see a picture of the death of Jesus. Psalm 16, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. And then come down to verse uh, 8. I have set the Lord always before me because He is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. There is the death, burial, and some would see the resurrection in 16. Psalm chapter 22 uh, is maybe the most messianic psalm. And Psalm chapter 22 was actually quoted by Jesus on the cross. When I read it to you, You'll, you'll hear Psalm 22 starts out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the psalmist goes on, Why are you so far from me, from saving me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. By night, and I find no rest. Come down to verse 6. See if you can see the crucifixion here in verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make, they, um, make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And then come down to verse 12. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All of my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. Verse 16. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and they gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Several hundred years before the crucifixion of Jesus, here in the psalm is an exact description of what happens to Christ. So when you read the psalms, you don't normally think about prophecy, but there you in fact, it's so much of a, of a prophetic word about Jesus that Jesus himself quotes Psalm 22 on the cross. Some identifying characteristics of the Psalms. But the Psalms, since there are 150 of them, and we'll come back and talk about that in a moment, let's put them into categories. What are the categories? I'll uh, mention just a few categories. The first one is the Psalm of Lament. Lament. To... A lament is a sanctified complaint. So a lament is not a grumble. The people in the desert grumbled after what God had done. A lament comes from a heart that is broken over a set of circumstances, and you take those circumstances to God. So if you want to define what a lament is, it's laying 
you would lay a troubled situation before the Lord and ask for help. So it's not just, you see me in this condition, it is an asking for help. Do you know that one-third, one-third of all the Psalms, so if there are 150, is there any mathematicians in there, one-third of 150? Is how many? Oh, I guess I could have done that. Sorry, guys. I'm kind of cloudy today. <laughs> yeah, I should, have, I should have written that one down, I think. So, so one-third, 50 of the Psalms. I, when I studied that, then I thought, 50 of them? Like, when I'm thinking about Psalms, I think about praising, uh, I think about exalting God, but, but one-third serve as a lament, asking God for help. As you think about that, I want to just pick out two of them. Let me read uh, Psalm 12. Psalm 12 is the lament of a community. Psalm 13 is the lament of an individual. So, so back up and let me show you Psalm 12. If we're in community together, this would be collectively, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor with flattering lips and double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all the flattering lips and the tongue that makes great boast. Those who say with our tongue we will prevail and our lips are with us. Who is master over us? Because the poor are plundered, because the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will place him in the safety for which he longs. The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side of the wicked prowl, as vileness exalt, is exalted among the children of man. So that's a broad lament. And sometimes it's good for us to do that. When there's something that happens in a country or in a community or a, to a group of people, then we hurt collectively and it's good to go to the, to the Psalter and find psalms of lament that are part of a community. But more times than not, that brokenness is individual. And uh, I was talking with someone before tonight. Uh, we talked about Nate, Diane, and talked about how you, as you age, things happen. You live long enough, you have lots of loss, or at least you go through some, some loss. And so Psalm 13 is one of those psalms that's good for you to kind of tuck away and to have Psalm 13, because I'm, I'm betting that there are people in this room right now have felt exactly like Psalm 13. Let me read part of it. I won't read the whole thing. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? And just stop right there. Haven't you felt that? Isn't it something good that God has given us in His Word, that which we feel and made it okay to go to God with that prayer? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? Have you felt like that? 
How long must I take counsel in my soul, have my sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So, so you have here this prayer of lament. Remember, a, a lament is, is putting the, the problem before the Lord and asking for help. A complaint is just saying how terrible things are. A lament is saying things are terrible. God, help me, please. You see, that's what the psalmist is saying here. Even the, even the verse 3 is him asking, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. You keep going into the, into the lament, verse 5. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That's a lament. That's one category. Another category of the Psalms is um, that we use a good bit. Really, we use the whole Bible like this at Hickory Grove. But uh, the, the Psalms have a category, and that is the hymns of praise, a hymn of praise. So the Psalms are to be used to enable God's people, enable God's people to admire God's great attributes, to admire God's great attributes and His great deeds. That's what praise is. We stand and admire. If you praise someone, you are admiring that person. You might admire attributes of that person and call attention to those good attributes. The same is true about God. Praising God is seeing the great attributes of God and then calling attention to those attributes. That's what we do in worship. When we praise, we praise all of those things about God that we see that are good. I'll give you a couple there. Um, one at the beginning, one at the end, and one right in the middle. Where are we? Psalm 8. Let me just show you a couple of things in Psalm 8. You know this psalm. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic. See the attribute? How majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants you have established strength because your foes... Because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. You, that's, that's justice. You steal the enemy and the avenger. That's a hymn of, of praise. Or in the middle, in Psalm 93. <clears throat> Psalm 93. Here's a hymn of praise. Just five verses. The Lord reigns. Let me pause there. There is a picture of God's sovereignty in your life, that God is in control. He is, he is intimately involved in your life and the day-to-day -day affairs of your life, that He is reigning and His reign is good, that He is taking you somewhere. The Lord reigns. He's robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He has put on strength as His belt. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Your throne is established from old. You are from everlasting. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. 
The floods lift up their roaring. Don't you love the Psalms have the, put these um, attributes to things like floods that speak? You have this wonderful picture and artistry of, of, of inanimate objects coming alive. The floods are speaking now. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Your decrees are very trustworthy. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. What a beautiful song of praise. And then you get to the end of the, of, uh, the Psalter, and I'll just take you there, 145, chapter 145. So when you get to Psalm 145, uh, the, the Psalter's coming to an end. And, and the Psalm 145, 146, 147, 148, 149, 150, it's building to this crescendo of praise. Like if you ever sit down and read the Psalms and you get to the end, read from, verse, from chapter 145 all the way to chapter 150. And you hear, and they're, they're mercifully short. I'll read just a little bit out of 145. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and His greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare, to, and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. Let me just pause there. You get the idea that one of the categories of the Psalms is that they are hymns of praise. And I have found in the Psalms, when I can go to those hymns of praise and read them, they are helpful to me to set the tone of my own prayer life. Like, like, sometimes I'll use, uh, are you guys familiar with the book, The Valley of Vision? If you joined in the last several years, we, we gave that to new members, The Valley of Vision. If you missed the book, uh, we probably have it in the bookstore. It's a collection of Puritan prayers. It's a, it's a great sort of primer to help you kind of get in a framework of praying. Well, that's not inspired like the Bible, but it's helpful. Think of the Psalms as hymns of praise. Here is God using an instrument, a person, to write this down from the Holy Spirit to enrapture our hearts to be able to pray. It's a good way to start your day. Hymns of praise. Another category. It's very similar to the hymns of praise is the hymns of thanksgiving. Hymns of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We, we thank God for something He has done. I'll give you just a couple uh, examples. Psalm 5 is a community is the people of God giving thanks for what God has done? Let me read that to you real quickly. Psalm chapter 5. I'll just read part of it. <clears throat> Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. 
O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. And the Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. So that goes down to the bottom. If you keep reading, it goes right back up into this community of giving thanks for what God actually does. Remember, our praise is calling attention to who God is, admiring and adorning who God is. Thanks is, is talking about what God has done. Or, for instance, Psalm chapter 30. <clears throat> Psalm chapter 30. Don't you love Psalm 30, verse 5? I'll start with verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. This is what I did. And you healed me. Lord, you have brought up my soul from the grave. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord. O you, his saints, and give thanks, give thanks to his holy name, for his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Don't you take comfort in this? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. Isn't it beautiful? that God gave us that truth? That even when you're in the throes, let's just say you're overcome with just crying, just weeping. As a Christian, you can, you can know that's not the end. Like there's hope. There, I mean, it's what gives you strength. You can say, I'll get through that. Such a beautiful thing that the Lord gives us. Hymns of Thanksgiving, another category. I'll, uh, one would be uh, hymns of of celebrating God's law. Really, that's one big one. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is amazing. It is amazing structured Hebrew poetry. I won't, I won't read the whole thing to you tonight. So if you've got a good Bible, uh, I hate to say that because yours might not have it, and you're going to like, well, this Bible's not any good. If you've got a good Bible, it's broken the Psalm, Psalm 119 up into its 22 sections. And at the head of each section, it will, it will have the Hebrew letter, like Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, Hey. So each section is, has as its title a Hebrew letter. And in that section, every line in that section begins with that Hebrew letter. It's a remarkable piece of Hebrew poetry. And every single one of them, every single one of the, except maybe two or three verses in Psalm 119, every single verse speaks to the Word of God. Like I preached, uh, I think I did it on Wednesday night, or maybe on a Sunday night, I can't remember. I went through Psalm 119 here several years ago. Maybe I'll do it again. Probably I've forgotten, so maybe I'll do it again. Uh, except some of you mark your Bibles and you're like, hey, you've preached that before. <laughs> but there are 22, I did a 22-week series through Psalm 119, and over and over again, it's just bringing us back to God's Word. 
which speaks to what we do on Wednesday nights here, gathered together, 150 people or so, all the kids we've got and our students. Why do we do it? It's, it's not just for fellowship. Fellowship is wonderful. But what gets us through the work week and the problems and the tragedies and dealing with children and grandchildren and what gets us through that is the strength that we gain from God's Word. That's what gets you through. That's why it's so important uh, that you not only just show up on Sunday and, 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 and take part in the sermon and follow and, and, and really try to seek to understand what does the Bible say, but for, for you, you and I have this unbelievable privilege that God has given us that you probably have more than one copy of the Bible at your house. I got a bunch of them. All kinds of Bibles. And it's a wonderful privilege that you can actually spend time with the living God who has chosen to reveal himself to you in the written word to strengthen your heart. It's a wonderful thing that you can actually have an appointment with the Lord that he's decided to meet with you. I mean, I'm thinking about the appointments that I have. And some of them, if you go up into my office, in the study, there's a long list of pictures. There are probably five or six pictures. They're all kind of the same because you get your picture made with the governor. They all sort of look the same. You stand in the same spot and, you know, you do the same sort of thing. When I was at Dolphin Way Baptist Church, every, it got to where it was once a month, I would go into the Bible study with the governor of Alabama, Bob Riley. I didn't miss that appointment. It was really important. I'd drive up the three hours to get there to Montgomery, park my Mustang right up on the Capitol steps. <laughs> Alabama's a different state. You pull it right up on the Capitol and go right up in. And I didn't miss that appointment. Now I think about how infinitely more important the living God is and now has not just, not just made it so that we meet with him and think and wonder what he would say to us I don't have to wonder, what does God say to me? I go to the Bible, and there God gives me specific revelation. He speaks, not in a voice, not in a cloud. He speaks in His Word. And Psalm 119 is this, is this hymn of praise to God's law. Another category, this will be the last category. We'll go to words and themes. One category of the Psalms is the something called songs, S-O-N-G-S, songs. It's hard when you're saying psalm and song. Songs of, oh, you probably got it written on a piece of paper. Oh, you knew what I was saying. Okay, songs of ascent. <laughs> songs of ascent from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. Most think it is songs that were sung as you were going up to Jerusalem. From wherever you come from, if you go to Jerusalem, you go up to Jerusalem, going up toward the temple and singing these songs of praise. From, from Psalm 120 to 134 of Songs of Ascent. Now let's talk a little bit about words, just a couple of words. Words and themes. A couple of words that show up. Uh, the first time you see it is in chapter 3. Let's see if your Bible has it. Chapter 3. Psalm chapter 3. It's the word selah. Are you familiar with that? S-E-L-A-H. Now, a lot of people have taken some sort of run at what does that word mean. I'm sorry? Could be meditate on this, 
Uh, but that's a guess. Meditate on this. Uh, could be pause. Sila could be rest here. It could be a musical term that says pause here, or as Rhea said, to meditate on this. Could be. In fact, a lot of people have bet oh, that that's it. I mean, there was even a, I think there was a singing group named Sila. You ever heard of them? Yeah, singing group. So they're betting their whole career on that. <laughs> but, but otherwise, we don't really, don't really know. Uh, I'm supposed to go to Psalm chapter 3. Shows up for the first time in Psalm 3. O Lord, how many are my foes, many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. And then Selah, so it could be stop and think. We even sing this. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud, I cried aloud to the Lord. He answered me from his holy hill. Stop thinking about this. Selah. That, that could be, but we don't actually know for sure. There's another word. Uh, in chapter 6 is Shemanith. Shemanith. It shows up right there in chapter 6. And Bible scholars are like, we don't really know. You see the subscript over chapter 6. To the choir master with stringed instruments according to the Shemanith, a psalm of David. Nobody really knows what that. So what your Bible might say, uh, mine says down here in the apparatus, it says, Probably a musical or liturgical term. So which means is, we don't know what that word is. As smart people talk for, we don't know what that word is. And then in chapter 7 is another uh, word. Look over chapter, right over chapter 7 is a shigion. That's a fun word to say. Of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, the Benjamite, and then you look down, what does it say here? Oh, it's probably a musical or liturgical term. <laughs> we don't really. It's interesting. We have those words and don't, don't know what they are. You, you see, the Psalter is a fundamentally, it's fundamentally a hymn book of the people of God to worship. It's why it's so important for us, for Christians. Because we have all the reason in the world to worship and the Psalter the Psalter lifts our hearts to God and makes us want to sing. One of the most fundamentally Christian things in the world to do is to sing. It's a strange phenomenon, singing is. It's a strange thing to do, to take words and say them differently. A, a song that has something in it that makes you want to put a melody to it and lift it to the Lord. It's, it's one of the most fundamentally, it's why the hymns are so good, to memorize the, the deep things of the Lord. It's why the psalms are so good, to sing them. They were designed to sing. If you read the psalms, you take the basic, just the basic Old Testament themes, and, um, and sing them to the Lord. That's why it should be, we take a, in principial form, in principial form, the songs we sing on a Sunday in worship should be a direct reflection of solid theology that talks either to or about God, our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They should be filled with theology because we are designed to learn those things. 
I mean, think about the songs you know by heart. Think about the useless songs you know by heart. Everybody in here knows a useless song by heart. Now think about when you can remember the deep, worshipful, meaningful God. But think of if there were the think if that were the psalms that we were singing, designed as a fundamental piece of, of worship. You have their covenant, you have creation, you have monotheism. And then there's one little category I left off that I want to go and look at. It's the imprecatory psalms. Y'all know what an imprecatory psalm is? It's a, an imprecatory psalm is the psalms where you're cursing your enemies. An imprecatory psalm is a psalm you go to and you look at and you think, yeah, I'm going to start praying that for people that don't like me. <laughs> it's in the Bible. I can use it. It's in the Bible. But uh, you, you've got to take a look at the imprecatory psalm. Let me read one for you. I'm not going to show you all of them. You, you'll come up on them. 137. Let me take you to Psalm 137. Psalm 137. <clears throat> so before I read it, so many of the Psalms oftentimes have a heading that tell you what this was written for. What a great gift to, to read what's going... We're looking into the prayer journal of, of someone going through something terrible. Sometimes the, the Psalms will tell us that. This one doesn't, but we get a feel for what's going on. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. So we're in exile. On the willows there, we hung up our lyres, for there our captors required of us songs that wanted us to sing. And our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And then, then here's the lament. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. Let my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. And here comes the precatory nature. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem, how they said, lay it bare, lay it bare, down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to be destroyed, blessed shall he be who repays you. This is the imprecatory part. Blessed shall he be who repays you with what you have done to us. Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. Now, that doesn't sound very Christian, does it? I mean, that doesn't sound like something you would, you, that you would read at a baby dedication. You wouldn't read that. So what is it about the... It's, it's good when you read the Bible to, to think deeply about, okay, what's going on there? What is it written about? What is the context? Is, is this just something that a mad person says about an enemy and asking God to strike their enemies down? Remember, we had to take the focus off of us, and the Psalms are focused on God. These are not trivial. This prayer is not by, 
because of a trivial something that somebody has offended you or treated you poorly or made you mad or hurt your feelings. This curse has to do with the fundamental rejecting of an almighty God. That's the theme. That this is a, a curse and someone that rejects Yahweh God is under the curse. You can even hear Jesus say that when he talks. Did y'all hear that? Is there a train coming through here? <laughs> Wednesday nights are at my absolute favorite. I just want you to know that. <laughs> there have been times when I'd be preaching like this, and there used to be a guy that would come that uh, he, his phone would ring, and he would answer it. <laughs> so if the phone rings, just don't answer. Just cut it off. And if you can't get to it, just be real still. I won't know whose it is, and it'll pass. It'll pass. This curse in, in Psalm 137, this, this imprecatory psalm, the psalms that are imprecatory are written about people that hate God and hate the people of God. It's a reminder of how serious sin is, how serious God takes holiness, how he feels about his people. Now, it, it, it takes us then to the anger of God and reminds us of the grace of God found at the cross of Christ. That the anger is real, yes, but the love of God is real as well. It's poured out to us at the cross. Okay, let me get to another one. Is, uh, is structure. Structure. What, about, what is the structure of the book? Okay, we're flying 50,000 feet, or no, 30,000, however high I was in the sky. <clears throat> Let's go through it. There is the Psalms, a collection of 150 separate songs. You got that? The Hebrew text of the Psalter is divided up into five different books. So there are 150 of them, but they're divided up into five different books. And probably they are corresponding to the five books of the law, of the Torah. Probably the five books of the Psalms correspond to the five books of the Torah. Each of the five books, each one, ends in a doxology. And if you're curious about the books, I'll just give them to you real quickly. <laughs> book 1 is chapters 1 through one, uh, 1 through 41. 1 through 41 is book 1. Book 2 is chapter 42 to 72. 42 to 72. Book 1 is chapter 1 to 41. Book 2 is 42 to 72. Book 3 is 73 to 89. 73 to 89. Book 4 is 90 to 106. And book 5 is 107 to 150. Anybody need me to repeat any of that? You got it, okay. And if you got a good enough Bible, it probably says that in your Bible as well. Okay, so we've flown over. Now let's come back and end the night and do it quickly. I didn't know how else to say it. I got this from Mark Dever. Uh, he's got that big book, uh, Promise Made and a Promise Kept. Promise Made is the Old Testament. Promise Kept is the New Testament. And I was reading his book, The Promise Made, and he had several characteristics of a godly person from Psalms. I thought, that's really good. I'm going to share that with my people. So that's why you have here. What are the characteristics? Well, here's the first one. And that is that we learn to praise God. 
praise giving. You give praise to God. You give praise when things are good. You give praise when things are, God, when things are bad. You are able to see the attributes of God and call attention to those and thank God for them. We read Psalm 145. It is a psalm of praise. It is when you can take real joy in who God has revealed himself to be. That's a characteristic of somebody that's growing, that you're not tossed to and fro by what's happening in your life, that you can take great joy in who God is and how he has revealed himself to us. Praise giving. What is another characteristic? Honesty. Honesty. I mean, when you, when you read the Psalms, you know what you have there? If you want to write one down in Psalm 10 and Psalm 74, I'll just give you those two. <clears throat> when you read what I like about the Psalms is that it's not a fake person trying to pretend everything is okay. I mean, when you read it, there's lament, there's sorrow, there's absolute disorientation. When something happens so tragic and you don't know what to do with it, there's the Psalms. You read the Psalms, you have pain, you have distress, you have you have rejoicing. You have anger. When you read the Psalms, some of the Psalms are, are, are written by someone that's been abandoned. I think that's why Christians find such strength in the Psalms. Um, another one would be, characteristic would be, um, is that we remember. So if you want to put down Psalm 47 and maybe Psalm 136. Let me just read part of Psalm 136, verse 10 to 16. It's good to remember. I mean, we do that here with the Lord's Supper. We, why do we have the Lord's Supper? It's not because we think that there's something magical there. It's because we pause in our normal worship service and, and think and remember, meditate. Psalm 136 uh, let me just read a little bit of, starting verse 10. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them, his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and with an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever. He made Israel pass through the midst of it because his steadfast love endures forever. He overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. His steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, his steadfast love endures forever. And it just goes on and on and on from there. And it's the psalmist remembering but you'll notice that every time he remembers a thought in each line, he interjects a truth. His steadfast love endures forever. The Psalms give us a morality, a moral. Like, like I'm, I'm preaching um, this coming Sunday, I'll be preaching in Mark chapter 7, verse 13 to 24. I've been studying all week, and it's, it's Jesus when he's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and the people, and he tells them about uh, 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 purity, about ceremonial purity. It's not on the outside. Why are you so worried about the outside? Who cares about the outside? It's inside. And then he just lists 13 things that come out, 13 foul things that come out of our hearts and the purity that come out of our, the impurities that come out of our lives. 
And, 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 he, and he points to this sense of morality. The psalmist points to that. In fact, the psalmist opens up like that in Psalm chapter 1. Go all the way back with me to chapter 1. Go too far, you're in the book of Job, where I am right now. Psalm 1. Listen to the moral story. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked, morality you see, moral, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff. Dust that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. The Psalms are not just worship. They also have a deep sense of morality. The characteristic of a godly person. Another characteristic is changing, changing, changing. Let's go to the most famous psalm of change, Psalm 51. Do you have Psalm 51 marked in your Bible? You should have Psalm 51 marked in your Bible. You know the story. Changing to, there's seven penitential. When I say penitential, I mean repentance, psalms of repentance. And it's, it's good to read the psalms of repentance that help us come to the Lord and repent. Psalm 51. Uh, notice the heading. It's a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Psalm 51 is the repentance of David after Nathan confronted him about his adulterous affair with Bathsheba, which was even more than an affair, and murdered her husband. It was a terrible, terrible time in David's life. And Psalm 51 is his change. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's against you. I mean, certainly it was against Bathsheba too, and against her husband, against Israel, but it's against you. And you alone have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight so that you might be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. I was brought forth in iniquity. So, so I was a sinner from birth. And in sin did my mother conceive me, so was she. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. You teach me wisdom in the secret heart. I mean, it keeps going, purge me. It's a beautiful reminder that the Psalms... That, a spiritual, a biblically spiritual man or woman changes. We change. We see where we sin. We turn from it. We don't make excuses. There's not one excuse in this psalm. A biblically spiritual person, read the psalms. I'll, I'll go ahead and close it. I'm getting there. We trust God. Psalm 62 is a beautiful picture of trusting God. Psalm 62 verses 1 through 8. 
is trusting God. 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. A lot of you have been waiting. You've just been waiting. You've just been waiting. And you're trusting. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress, and I shall not be shaken. What a great picture of trusting God. And then the last one is thanksgiving. A biblically spiritual person knows how to thank God. We do it corporately. Psalm 124 is a corporate thanksgiving. Psalm 34 is, is an individual thanksgiving. All of these psalms. You get to Psalm 150. It's this great picture of, of thanking the Lord. In fact, it's a thanks and praise. And I'll, I'll end with Psalm 150. The book of Psalms ends in a magnificent chorus in Psalm 150. <clears throat> I'm going to read it, and why don't you just let that be our prayer as we close out tonight. You follow along. You can follow in the Bible if you'd like. You can close your eyes and use that as a prayer as I read it. Let me read it. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And Father, we praise You. We thank You. We pray that you give us breath in our lungs to praise. That you wake us up tomorrow in enough time to praise God. That you bring us back here as a congregation on Sunday to praise. We thank you for it. Go with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.